be sure to follow Send Me to Sleep on your preferred podcast player so you never miss an episode and a good night's rest. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Good evening. In this episode, I'll be reading five bedtime stories from The Sandman's Hour by Abby Phillips Walker. So let your eyes fall heavy and your breath soften as we settle in for a peaceful night's sleep. Story One Where the Sparks Go One night when the wind was blowing and it was clear and cold out of doors, a cat and a dog, who were very good friends, sat dozing before a fireplace. The wood was snapping and crackling, making the sparks fly. Some flew up the chimney. Others settled into coals in the bed of the fireplace, while others flew out on the hearth and slowly closed their eyes and went to sleep. One spark ventured farther out upon the hearth and fell very near Pussy. This made her jump which awakened the dog. That almost scorched your fur coat, Miss Pussy, said the dog. No, indeed, answered the cat. I am far too quick to be caught by those silly sparks. Why do you call them silly? asked the dog. I think them very good to look at, and they help to keep us warm. Yes, that is all true, said the cat. But those that fly up the chimney on a night like this certainly are silly, when they could be warm and comfortable inside. For my part, I cannot see why they fly up the chimney. The spark that flew so near Pussy was still winking, and she blazed up a little when she heard the remark the cat made. If you knew our reason, you would not call us silly, she said. 
You cannot see what we do, but if you were to look up the chimney and see what happens if we are fortunate enough to get out at the top, you would not call us silly. The dog and the cat were very curious to know what happened, but the spark told them to look and see for themselves. Pussy was very cautious and told the dog to look first, so he stepped boldly up to the fireplace and thrust his head in. He quickly withdrew it, for his hair was singed, which made him cry and run to the other side of the room. Miss Pussy smoothed her soft coat, and was very glad she had been so wise. She walked over to the dog, and urged him to come nearer the fire, but he realized why a burnt child dreads the fire and remained at a safe distance. Pussy walked back to the spark and continued to question it. We cannot go into the fire, she said. Now, pretty, bright spark, do tell us what becomes of you when you fly up the chimney. I am sure you only become soot, and that cannot make you long to get to the top. Oh, you are very wrong, said the spark. We are far from being black when we fly up the chimney, for once we reach the top, We live forever, sparkling in the sky. You can see, if you look up the chimney, all of our brothers and sisters who have been lucky and reached the top, winking at us almost every night. Sometimes the wind blows them away, I suppose, for there are nights when we cannot see the sparks shine. Who told you that? said the cat. Did any of the sparks ever come back and tell you they could live forever? Oh no, said the spark, but we can see them. Can we not? And, of course, we all want to shine forever. I said you were silly, said the cat, and now I know it. Those are not sparks, you see. They are stars in the sky. You can call them 
anything you like, replied the spark, but we make the bright light you see. Well, if you take my advice, said the cat, you will stay right in the fireplace, for once you reach the top of the chimney, out of sight you go. The stars you see twinkling are far above the chimney, and you never could reach them. But the spark would not be convinced. Just then, someone opened a door, and the draught blew the spark back into the fireplace. In a few minutes, it was flying with the others toward the top of the chimney. Pussy watched the fire a minute, and then looked at the dog. The spark may be right after all, said the dog. Let us go out and see if we can see it. Pussy stretched herself and blinked. Perhaps it is true, she replied. Anyway, I will go with you and look. Story 2 The Good Sea Monster On an island of rock, out in the ocean lived a monster. His head was large, and when he opened his mouth, it looked like a cave. It had been said that he was so huge that he could swallow a ship, and that on stormy nights he sat on the rocks, and the flashing of his eyes could be seen for miles around. The sailors spoke of him with fear and trembling, but, as you can see, the monster had really been a friend to them, showing them the rock in the storm by flashing his eyes. But because he looked so hideous, all who beheld him thought he must be a cruel monster. One night there was a terrible storm, and the monster went out into the ocean to see if any ship was wrecked in the night, and, if possible, help anyone that was floating about. He found one little boy floating about on a plank. His name was Coco, and when he saw the monster, he was afraid. But when Coco saw that the monster did not attempt to harm him, 
he climbed on the monster's back, and he took him to the rocky island. Then the monster went back into the sea, and Coco wondered if he were to be left alone. But after a while, the monster returned, and opened his mouth very wide. Coco ran when he saw the huge mouth, for he thought the monster intended to swallow him. But as he did not follow him, Coco went back. The monster opened his mouth again, and Coco asked, Do you want me to go inside? And the monster nodded his head. It must be for my own good, said Coco, for he could easily swallow me if he wished, without waiting for me to walk in. So Coco walked into the big mouth, and down a dark passage, but what the monster wanted him to do, he could not think. He could see very faintly now, and after a while he saw a stove, a chair, and a table. I will take these out, said Coco, for I am sure I can use them. He took them to a cave on the island, and when he returned, the monster was gone. But soon he returned, and again he opened his mouth. Coco walked in this time without waiting, and he found boxes and barrels of food, which he stored away in the cave. When Coco had removed everything, the monster lay down and went to sleep. Coco cooked his dinner, and then he awoke the monster, and said, Dinner is ready. But the monster shook his head, and plunged into the ocean. He soon returned with his mouth full of fish. Then Coco knew that the monster had brought all the things from the sunken ship for him, and he began to wish that the monster could talk, for he no longer feared him. I wish you could talk, he said. I can, the monster replied. No one ever wished it before. An old witch changed me into a monster, and put me on this island, 
where no one could reach me, and the only way I can be restored to my original form is if someone is to wish it. I wish it, said Coco. You have had your wish, said the monster, and I can talk, but for me to become a man, someone else must wish it. The monster and Coco lived for a long time on the island. He took Coco for long rides on his back and when the waves were too high, and Coco was afraid, the monster would open his mouth, and Coco would crawl inside, and be brought back safe to the island. One night, after a storm, Coco saw something floating on the water, he jumped on the monster's back, and they swam out to it. It proved to be a little girl, about Coco's age, who had been on one of the wrecked vessels, and they brought her to the island. At first she was afraid of the monster, but when she learned that he had saved Coco as well as her, and brought them all their food, she became as fond of him as Coco was. I wish he were a man, she said one day, as she sat on his back with Coco, ready for a sail. Splash went both the children into the water, and there in place of the monster was an old man. He caught the children in his arms and brought them to the shore. But what will we do for food now that you are a man? asked Coco. We shall want for nothing now, replied the old man. I am a sea god, and can do many things. Now that I have my own form again, we will change this island into a beautiful garden. And when the little girl and you are grown up and married, you shall have a castle, and all the sea gods and nymphs will care for you, and you will never want for anything again. I will take you out on the ocean on the backs of my dolphins, Coco and the little girl lived on the enchanted island, and all the things the old sea god promised came true.
Story 3 Mother Turkey and Her Chicks Mother Turkey believed in the old adage taught to her by her grandmother. The early bird catches the worm, and every night when the sun set, she took her little chicks to the highest branch they could reach in an old apple tree and sang them to sleep with this lullaby. Close your eyes, my little turkey chicks. Hide your heads. Don't peep. Mother knows the bogey fox's tricks, and she'll watch you while you sleep. Mother Turkey had told them about the bogey fox that lived in a hole on the other side of the hill, and it did not need more than the mention of that name to make them obey. I do wish we could just get a look at him, said one chick, as his mother came to the end of the verse. I should not know him if I met him. Oh yes you would, replied his mother. He has a very long tail, and a sharp nose, and his teeth, oh dear me, she exclaimed, as she flapped her wings at the thought of them. Will you wake us tonight if he comes, asked another chick. I shall not need to do that, replied Mother Turkey. You will hear us talking. He is a very sly fellow, and always very polite, and says nice things. But you will cover your heads, it is getting late. And she began to sing. Close your eyes, my little turkey chicks. Hide your heads, don't peep. Mother knows the bogey fox's tricks, and she'll watch you while you sleep. By the time the mother turkey reached the end of the verse, this time all the chicks were fast asleep. Mother Turkey stretched out her wings once or twice and turned her head in all directions, and then she settled herself for a nap. The moon was shining brightly when she awoke, and she saw not far off 
what looked like a large black dog walking cautiously toward the tree. Mother Turkey took another look and saw the bushy tail, and she perched herself more firmly on the limb and looked to see if her children were safe on there, for she knew that the bogey fox had come to take one of her chicks back to his hole if he could. Good evening, Mr. Fox, she said, as the fox came near enough to hear her. I was sure that I knew your splendid figure. You certainly make a most remarkable picture in the moonlight. Mr. Fox was somewhat taken aback at this compliment paid him in such a pleasant manner, for usually he was the one to make remarks, and the turkey listened, not daring to move or speak. He recovered from his surprise by the time he was under the tree, and said, You are most flattering, Mistress Turkey, and I can only return the compliment by telling you that you are a picture yourself in the moonlight, sitting so stately on that limb but if you would enjoy the full extent this beautiful evening, you must come from the tree and take a walk over the hill. No doubt you are right, replied Mrs. Turkey, but I could not think of leaving my children alone. I should be very glad to take care of the little dears while you are gone, said Mr. Fox, and if you will have them come down beside me, I will tell them a story which I am sure will keep them interested until you return. By this time, the turkey chicks were awake and listening to what the fox was saying. He seemed so nice and polite that they quite forgot to be afraid, and when he spoke of telling them a story, one of them said, Oh, please do go, mother, and let him tell us a story. We'll be very good if you will. You see, my dear madam, said the fox, the little dears are quite willing to stay with me. Do go and enjoy the moonlight. Mother Turkey looked 
at her children in a way that plainly said to them, Be quiet. And then she said to Mr. Fox, I appreciate your kind offer. And were my children well, I should be very glad to leave them with you. But they have been so sick, and are so lean, that I have to be very careful that they sleep and eat well, or they will not be fat by next Thanksgiving, and that would be a disgrace, you know. When the fox heard this, he was not so anxious to have the chicks come down, so he said, I know just how anxious you must feel, Mistress Turkey, and if you will come down where I can talk with you without being heard, I will tell you the very thing to give them to make them fat. If he cannot get the chicks, he will take me, thought Mrs. Turkey. But I am too old a bird to be caught even by this sly fellow. Mrs. Turkey did not reply to this last remark. She was thinking of a trap she saw her master set the day before. I wish you would walk around a little, so my children can see what a beautiful bushy tail you have, she said. They have never seen so handsome a fellow as you are. Mr. Fox was very proud of his tail, so he walked out from the shade of the tree and strutted about. Tell him how handsome he is, whispered Mother Turkey to her chick. Oh, isn't he handsome, said one, and another said, I wish we had such bushy tails instead of these straight feathers. While Miss Turkey said, You are quite the handsomest creature I have ever seen. And I have seen many in my time. By this time the fox was so pleased with their admiration that he was ready to do anything to display his charms. So when Miss Turkey said, I wish you would run up and show them how you can run and jump. He asked what he could jump on to show his nimbleness. The top of that 
Hogshead would be a good place, said Mrs. Turkey, knowing well that the cask had no head and that it was nearly full of water. Away ran Mr. Fox, and splash he went into the hogshead. He tried to get out, but it was no use. The cask was too high, and then the farmer, hearing the noise, came out and soon put an end to Mr. Fox. The little turkey sat wide awake and trembling beside their mother. But when the farmer went into the house, she began to sing. Close your eyes, my little turkey chicks. Hide your heads, don't peep. Mother knows the bogey fox's trick and she'll watch you while you sleep. And in a few minutes, all was quiet again in the yard. Story 4 The Fairies and the Dandelion The fairies say that a long time ago, the dandelion did not have a yellow blossom or a fluffy white cap it wears after the yellow has been taken off. They tell the story that one night, a long time ago, while they were holding one of their revels in a field. Sounds of weeping and moaning were heard. The fairy queen stopped the dance and listened. It comes from the ground, she said, down among the grasses. Hurry, all of you. Find out who is in trouble, and come back and tell me. Away went the fairies, into the fields and gardens and lanes, darting in and out among the blades of grass. They found queer-looking weeds with leaves, resembling a lion's tooth. They were crying and chanting a sing-song tune. Here we grow, so bright and green, the colour of grass and can't be seen. Oh, bitter woe, but we'll not stop till the fairies give us a yellow top. Back flew the fairies to their queen and told her what they had heard. If only they had asked for some other colour, she said. 
There are so many yellow blossoms now. The buttercup, the golden glow, and the golden rod will all be jealous if another yellow flower enters their bright circle. Go back and ask them if they will be quiet if I give them a white top. The fairies danced away to the crying dandelions with the queen's message. The queen will give you a white top, they said. No, no, they cried. Yellow is the colour we should wear with our green leaves. It is the colour of the sun, and we wish to be as near like him as we can. And they all began to cry. Oh, bitter woe, we will not stop till the fairies give us a yellow top. They made such a noise that the fairies put their fingers in their ears as they flew back to the queen. The grass blades stood up higher and looked about. Do quiet those noisy weeds, they said to the queen. Give them the yellow top for which they are crying, and let us go to sleep. We have been kept awake since sunset, and it will soon be sunrise. What shall we do? said the queen. I do not know where to get the yellow they want. If we could get some sunbeams, said one fairy, we could have just the colour they are crying for. Of course, we cannot venture into such a strong light, but the elves might gather them for us. So they went to the elves and asked them to gather the sunbeams for the next day, and bring them to the valley the next night. The elves were very willing to help them, but the sun shone very little the next day, and they were able to gather only a few basketfuls of the bright golden colour. When the queen saw the quantity, she was in despair. This will never go around, she said, and those that are left without a yellow top will cry louder than ever. Why not divide it among them, said one fairy. It will last for a little while, and we can give them our fluffy white caps when that is gone. 
We shall take them off soon, and the dandelions can wear them the rest of the season. The face of the queen brightened. The very thing, she said. If only the noisy little weeds will agree. Go to them, and say they can wear yellow of the very shade they most desire, half the season, if they are willing to accept our fluffy white caps for the other half. The fairies hurried to the dandelions, and told them what the queen had said. The dandelions stopped crying, and said they would be satisfied, and the queen rode through the meadows, fields, gardens, and lanes, dropping gold upon each weed as she passed along. In the morning, when the sun beheld his own bright colour, Looking up at him, he was so surprised that he almost stood still. The fairies kept their promise, and when it was time to take off their fluffy white caps, they went among the dandelions and hung a cap on each stem. The dandelions did not cry again, and the grass sleeps on from sunset to sunrise, undisturbed. Story 5 Mr. Possum Mr. Possum lived in a tree in the woods where Mr. Bear lived, and one morning, just before spring, Mr. Possum awoke very hungry. He ran around to Mr. Squirrel's house, and tried to get an invitation to breakfast, but Mr. Squirrel had only enough for himself. He knew that Mr. Possum always lived on his neighbors when he could, so he said, Of course you have been to breakfast long ago, Mr. Possum. You are such a smart fellow, so I will not offer you any. Mr. Possum, of course, said he had, and that he only dropped in to make a call. He was on his way to Mr. Rabbit's house. But he met with no better success at Mr. Rabbit's, for he only put his nose out of the door and when he saw who was there, said, I am as busy as I can be getting ready for my spring planting. 
Will you come in and help sort seeds? Mr. Rabbit knew the easiest way to get rid of Mr. Possum was to ask him to work. I would gladly help you, replied Mr. Possum, but I am in a great hurry this morning. I have some important business with Mr. Bear, and I only stopped to say how do you do. Mr. Bear, I'm afraid, will not be receiving today, said Mr. Rabbit. It is rather early for him to be up, isn't it? I thought as the sun was nice and warm, he might venture out, and I thought it would please him to have me there to welcome him, said Mr. Possum. Besides that, I wish to see him on business. Now, Mr. Possum knew well enough that Mr. Bear would not be up, and he wanted to find him sleeping, and soundly too. He went to the door and knocked softly. Then he waited, and as he did not hear any moving inside, he went to a window and looked in. There was Mr. Bear's chair and pipe, just as he had left them when he went to bed. He looked in the bedroom window, and he could see in the bed a big heap of bedclothes, and just the tiniest tip of Mr. Bear's nose. Mr. Possum listened and he trembled a little, for he could hear Mr. Bear's breathing very loud, and it sounded anything but pleasant. Oh, he is sound asleep for another week, said Mr. Possum. What is the use of being afraid? He walked around the house until he came to the pantry window. Then he stopped and raised the sash. He put in one foot and sat on the sill and listened. All was still, so he slid off to the floor. Mr. Possum looked around Mr. Bear's well-filled pantry. He did not know where to begin. He was so hungry. He became so interested and was so greedy that he forgot all about that he was in Mr. Bear's pantry, and he stayed on and on, and ate, and ate. Then he fell asleep, and the first thing he knew, a pair of shining 
eyes were looking in the window, and a big head with a red mouth full of long white teeth was poked into the pantry. Mr. Possum thought his time had come, so he just closed his eyes and pretended he was dead. But he peeked a little so as to see what happened. The big head was followed by a body, and when he was on the sill, Mr. Possum saw that it was Mr. Fox, and the next thing he knew, Mr. Fox came off the sill with a bang, and hit a pan of beans, and then knocked over a jar of preserves. The noise was enough to awaken all the bears for miles around and Mr. Possum was frightened nearly to death, for he heard Mr. Bear growling in the next room. While Mr. Fox was on the floor and trying to get up on his feet, Mr. Possum jumped up and was out of the window like a flash. Mr. Fox saw something, but he did not know what, and before he could make his escape, the door of the pantry opened, and there stood Mr. Bear, with a candle in his hand, looking in. Oh, oh, he growled, so you are trying to rob me while I'm taking my sleep. He sprang at Mr. Fox. Wait, wait, said Mr. Fox. Let me explain, my dear Mr. Bear. You are mistaken. I was trying to protect your home. I saw your window open and knew you were asleep. And when I got in the window, the thief attacked me and nearly killed me, and now you are blaming me for it. You are most ungrateful. I shall know another time what to do. Mr. Bear looked at him. His mouth did not show any signs of food, and Mr. Fox opened his mouth and told him to look. I wonder who it could have been, he said, when he was satisfied that Mr. Fox was not the thief. It may have been that possum fellow. I'll go over to his house in the morning. The next morning, Mr. Bear called on Mr. Possum. He found him sleeping soundly, and when he at last opened the door, he was rubbing his eyes as though he was not half awake.
Why, how do you do? He said when he saw Mr. Bear. I did not suppose you were up yet. You didn't? Asked Mr. Bear. And then he started at Mr. Possum's coat. What is the matter with your coat? He asked. You have white hairs sticking all over you. The rest of your coat is almost white, too. Now, Mr. Possum had a black coat before, and he ran to the mirror and looked at himself. It was true. He was almost white. He knew what had happened. He was so frightened when he was caught in Mr. Bear's pantry by Mr. Fox and heard Mr. Bear growl that he had turned nearly white with fright. I have been terribly ill, he told Mr. Bear, going back to the door. And I have been here all alone this winter. It was a terrible sickness. I guess that is what has caused it. Mr. Bear went away, shaking his head. That fellow is crafty, he said. I feel sure he was the thief and yet he certainly does look sick. After that, all the opossums were of a dull white colour, with long white hairs scattered here and there over their fur. They were never able to outgrow the mark the thieving Mr. Possum left upon his race.